This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, I wasn't quite expecting that much, Kevin. It's too kind. But thank you for your uh, kindness and your clapping. Uh, it was funny. We were standing down here a moment ago, the worship team and I, and, and uh, Seth was telling us about Pastor Kevin's going to do a video to introduce me. And somebody said, why introducing Jimmy? People know Jimmy. Todd said, I've been coming here for months, and he hadn't introduced me. And So, you know what? I thought about something. Sometimes we take our worship team for granted. I want you to make a point today for me, for yourself, for them, to tell each one of those guys and girls what they mean to you. Todd plays our keyboard. David plays the drums. Gary plays the bass. Rodney led today. Rodney leads a lot. The pretty lady in the back that gives the band some structure was Susan. That's Todd's wife. And then there's the big guy that plays lead. But tell those guys how much you love them. And, and I want to reiterate some things that, you know, Kevin said about me, but I'm going to say that about him. I thank him for trusting me enough to do this, uh, finishing up a series, and, and I appreciate Kevin. I love him. I, I, I appreciate him so much as being my pastor, and I know you do too, because I have learned a lot under Kevin. Learned a lot under him. I've learned a lot under Carrie last week. Uh, I got thinking about it, and I told my wife, Jan, this morning, I said, well, I guess I should wear my shirt tail out. Everybody else does when they <laughs> preach. I didn't know that's what you were supposed to do. And then Ann says, yeah, you look old if you don't. So if that's all it takes, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Uh, I look young. So, but No, I think it goes to show that it's not what's on the outside, but it's what's on the inside. So thank you, Pastor Kevin. You know, when Kevin asked me about this message and I read over the scripture that was concluding this series, I thought, oh, God, why did you pick me to do this? I mean, it's a pretty tough scripture. And then I got looking at it and I said, no, wait a minute. The more I read and the more I studied this, I thought, this is a great scripture. Yes, it's hard. It can be. But it can be so liberating. It can be great. Over the last few weeks, as Pastor Kevin said, we've talked about the generosity started off about three weeks ago, the generosity that is the foundation of Jesus that we built these series of sermons on was being rich. And we learned also about how sometimes we maybe live in denial that we're not rich or, or maybe we live in uh, with discontentment in our lives. And then last week I thought Carrie expressed it so very well that it's not about how much we give, the amount, but it's about the percentages that we give. So I thought about that and, and some things to kind of get us rolling maybe this morning. I wanted to tell just a few rich people problems uh, and, and kind of help us to relate some of the problems as rich people we may go through. One would be a guy talking about, oh, no, my computer just crashed. My screen is completely blue. The other dude says, you got a computer? Yeah, man, I got a computer at work. It, you know, work, give it to me, but it's mine. And uh, I know what, I'll just use my laptop. You got a laptop? Yeah. I, oh, no. My laptop's at home. I forgot. I left it at home today. I'll just use my iPad so we get everything squared away. And it gets goes on and on. I thought if it hadn't had an iPad, it would probably done on a smartphone. So just a few rich people problems. Maybe you've 
heard this one or maybe even experienced it. Man, I wish my house would sell. It's been on the market for six months. It just won't sell. You mean you own a house? Yeah, man, I got a house. Uh, I've had a house. And uh, I, matter of fact, we saw another house we like, and we decided we wanted to upgrade a little bit. It's a nice house. We've already put a down payment on it. I wish my house would sell. All kind of, you know, so rich people problems where houses won't sell. And then I thought about one buying cars. And I want to show you these crazy rich people. We'll put them up on the screen. Yeah. Look at that dude with all that hair. I like that picture. Now, that, these are folks with rich people problems. They're going out and they're shopping for a new car. And this, this little one in the middle, a lot of you won't recognize her because that's my daughter Tiffany. And she's 35 now. Look at Tiffany smiling. You see, Tiffany had a big, big rich people problem. When You can take that off now. We don't need to see that anymore. <laughs> Tiffany had this big rich people problem. See, her mom would drop her off at school in the old Thunderbird we had, and when she would stop, smoke would just roll out, you know. Tiffany would come home crying because the kids made fun of her. Mom, everybody says our car is a bomb. It smokes. So now you take me. That's a rich people problem because I had to ride a bus for an hour and 15 minutes. I would have loved to have been in a car that smoke rolled out. And some of my friends had what they call walkers back in my day. People even walked to school. So when you look at that, that's not much of a rich people problem, you know, a little bit of smoke rolling out of the car. But I thought y'all would get a kick out of that good-looking dude there with all that hair, so I want to show it to you. And, and then this is probably my favorite rich people problem. Should I buy O'Roy or should I get Benefield dog food? Because Benefield, I mean, it's chock full of meat. It's, it's none of those added. It's 100% meat, and it's got vitamins and minerals that Help that dog's coat look good. Choices to do. Rich people problems. And, and then my mom. My mom had a dog named Lucky. Poor little Lucky's gone on to her reward now. But mom used to have rich people problems too. She said, well, I was down one day, what you doing? I'm making Lucky a cake. Making Lucky a cake? What about you and Dad? Well, we'll probably help her eat it. But she likes cake. I said, how do you know she likes cake? Oh, I, I, I know she likes cake. Matter of fact, sometimes in the middle of the night, she'll come wake me up and I have to get up and fry her egg. I said, you're kidding. No, I had to fry her egg right in the middle of the night. So rich people problems. I think that, you know, those are funny. But if you think about it, guys, these are problems, similar problems that you and I have. So I think that we've realized over the past few weeks, Kevin and Carrie's give us stats. And I don't remember all the exact stats, but I do remember this because I couldn't even believe it myself. Do you realize most of us sitting in this auditorium are in the top one percentile of wage earners in the world. That kind of blew me back, and I thought about rich people. Wow. So I guess the first lesson we got to learn today, which is in your notes, is who is rich? I am rich. Say it with me. Who is rich? I am rich. I am rich. You know, you might not think that, but really you are. And, and uh, the Apostle Paul he and Timothy, he was a mentor to Timothy and was teaching Timothy. And we've been through these scriptures over the last few weeks in 17 and 18. And we're going to get into 19 today. But these scriptures were so taught about. You might think today, well, that's just one little scripture tucked away in the corner of the Bible. But it's not. Jesus talked about giving and generosity all the time. This, as a matter of fact, this was so prevalent and they were so familiar with this. He didn't even have to quote the parable or the scripture Jesus was talking about. When Paul started talking about it, Timothy said, oh, oh, yeah, that scripture, that scripture. You're right. I know about that because being rich is a big problem. 
Now, you might not think that, but if you'll think hard enough, you'll think of some of the problems that it has got, gotten us into, like maybe controlling us, or maybe we'll be arrogant. Let's listen to what Paul was trying to teach Timothy. This is uh, Timothy 6, 17. We'll start back and review a little bit. Command those, and this is Paul talking to Timothy, command those who are rich, you know, that's us, that's us, command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. That's, now, that's a good one, because our enjoyment. You see, God provides everything for our enjoyment. Here we go. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, now stop, I'm going to pause there a moment. In this way, that, that's pretty big because that's, in this way hangs on what we just said. He's, he's teaching us and we've taught over the past few weeks not to be arrogant with our wealth and definitely don't trust in your provisions, in your wealth, but trust in the provider. Do good. Be rich in good deeds and be willing to share. It's, it's those things, that's the actions. In this way, when we do all those things, when we do all that, in this way, because we've done that, they, us, the rich people, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age or in heaven. We will lay up for ourselves things in heaven. <clears throat> now, here's, here's the funny thing. When we lay up treasures that are eternal in heaven, we think about, well, if we're rich, mathematically, this doesn't work out. If I'm going to be rich, if I'm going to have more, how can I give away? Because it doesn't make sense in the real world, right? If, if I get, I'm rich, you know, having stuff, that's the main thing. That's why I'm rich, because I got all this stuff. If I give it away, then I'm not going to be rich. But Paul was saying, no, God is teaching us that when we do this, when we're good, rich in good deeds, when we're willing to share, be generous, be kind, not arrogant, not puffed up, but when we do these, we are laying for ourselves a foundation in heaven. And as we do that, God is telling us, don't think of this as losing. Now, when we give, automatically we just think, well, if I'm giving away, I, I'm never going to have it back. I know sometimes I thought about, man, I look at my tithe, and boy, the old devil say, Jimmy, just think what you could have if you had that tithe. You could make another payment, maybe buy a boat or a motorcycle or something. So he gets in our minds, you know, we get arrogant. What if I could do? I had this. But God has said, no, don't think of it as losing, but think of it as eternal treasure. Look at the bigger picture God is saying. This has an eternal impact, which brings us to the next thing in your notes. There is a connection between our wealth now and eternity. There is a connection between our wealth now and eternity. I, I really think this is big. This is, to me, this is kind of where I started getting this and realizing in this message, this is not a hard message. This is a great message because of the eternal aspect of it and what this means for you and I in our lives. There is a connection between our wealth now and eternity, a relationship. You know, I always thought about mom taught me to do the golden rule, you know, treat others as you would have them to do unto you. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's just a common good thing. You know, as good American folks, that's kind of what we're taught as childhood. I remember in Sunday school, we taught about that. Do unto others. Treat people the way you want to be treated. And it'll come back to you. Now, the Bible doesn't say that it'll come back to you. But here's, that's our thinking. We start looking at that golden rule in the lens of now. 
we start seeing in the lens of now about how, well, we even maybe distort that. You know, man has a way of distorting God's things, doesn't he? And sometimes we'll say, well, I'll take the golden rule and I'll twist it a little bit. If you'll scratch my back, then I'll scratch yours. Have you ever thought about that? I'm not going to help that dude. He's never done anything for me. How many of us have thought that? Yeah. And, and that's not the way to be. But you see, sometimes we think about what we do that. Well, that's kind of a self-centered way of thinking because a lot of folks don't even want what I would want. And that's what God is saying. Look at the eternal picture because if we're ever going to be generous the way Jesus wants to be generous, we'll have to do this, the next thing in our notes. View your wealth through the lens of eternity. View your wealth through the lens of eternity. I thought about last week as Carrie was speaking about a, a good way to start doing that is to pre-decide giving. You know, he mentioned how are we going to do some of this to pre-decide what you're going to give. I know, and he mentioned something else too last week about Sarah McLaughlin in the commercial about where the little dogs and little cats and everybody feels sorry for them. And I thought about it even more than that. What about the, the little kids on TV? We'll see these commercials about helping a child, and you see their stomach, a little two- or three-year-old looks pregnant, their stomach's so blowed out. And those kind of things make you and I feel guilty, don't they? Well, that's what they're playing on. They, they want us to feel guilty, and we should feel guilty to some degree. So we give. We give out of guilt, don't we? Or maybe there's a awareness of need, like the Stanley Community Christian Ministries, and where we give, as Kevin said, over 1,100 pounds. We're, we're starting to learn generosity in our church, like the early church did, where you give and you bring your excess margin and you help distribute some of that margin and give, not only with your goods but your time. But as, as we think about this, the guilt and we give, and then we think about awareness of need and we'll give, and that, that kind of stops, doesn't it? It kind of just plays out. Now, it'll come back up next time we have an awareness of a need or we feel guilty or something, then we'll give. But there's a way to overcome that. When we start looking through the lens of eternity, when we realize that there is a connection, it's so critical that we get this. There's a connection between my wealth now and eternity. I'm laying up treasure in heaven. I thought, that is so cool because, you know, when we give, we thought, we, we've always thought about, well, I'm giving because that's the right thing to do. It's the good thing to do. I want to be a good guy. I want to be a good girl. I, you know, I want to be decent. I want to have morals and ethics. So we give because it's the right thing to do. But it's much, much bigger than that. We give because God says give, and there's a connection now when we're giving. And if we'll start to think about that, our hearts will be changed. When, when that connection between what we have now and eternity hits home in us, when we will predecide giving, Honestly, I can say this because I know some of that even works in my heart, and it's getting more. I've learned just from this message. But before I've started realizing that, yes, there is some eternal aspect of, of my giving. And when I give more, I had a guy tell me one time in a church I was at, some people were complaining about helping this family in church. And that dude said something I won't ever forget, and I stand by it to this day. And, and he says, you cannot give till it hurts. You've got to give till it feels good. That is that eternal connection. When we give and it feels good, you see what's happening, God is changing our heart. When you want to give because you know it feels good and you know it's the right thing you do and you know that there's an eternal aspect of it, then God changes our heart. And our grip on wealth that has such a bind on us, it's God starts to loosen that grip. And the things that were so important to us maybe before, are not quite as important now. 
So Paul was teaching Timothy, tell them, don't be arrogant. Don't trust in their own wealth. Don't trust in the provider, not their provisions. And he said, tell them to do good. Be, be well enriched deeds and be generous and be willing to share. Most of all, don't forget there is a connection between our wealth now and eternity. Let's go on. I thought it would be fun to read one of the gospel lessons. You know, I talked about how Paul and Timothy, they knew they were so prevalent in their time. So let's just read one of them. This will be up on the screen. It comes from the Gospel of Luke 12, starting in verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man, now that's us, the rich people. You say, no, that's not me. Yeah, it's you, the rich people. I, I tell my small group all the time, look, if we're going to get anything out of these parables, we have got to put ourselves in that story. It don't matter if it's 2,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago. We've got to put ourselves in that story. Ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He had an overabundance that year. He thought to himself, here's a rich people problem. What shall I do? I have no place to put all my grain, my abundance that I have. What am I going to do? Then he says, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God, you know, Pastor Kevin always said, God has some nice butts, but, but this one may not be quite as nice. But God said to him, you fool, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself only, but is not rich toward God. Now, God's not calling this man a fool because he is rich. God made him rich. But what he is calling him a fool about is he has forgotten about being generous. He has forgotten about sharing. He has forgotten about giving God. The last three words in those verses, he has forgotten how to be rich toward God. You might want to write that in your notes. It's not in your notes today, but you might just want to write that down in your margin. Be rich toward God. Now, it wasn't bad that he had, he had a good plan to build bigger barns. That's a good plan. I mean, it fixed a problem, right, if it would have just only been about life and this life only. But it's not. We've already made the connection now. Paul's already taught us that there is a connection of our wealth between now and eternity. So I thought, I think today we need to learn about being rich toward God, and we need to maybe drive that point home. And sometimes it's easy to forget points. So I wanted to help you remember that point with a few illustrations. Just have a picture one up there. Oh, wow, look at that. One of my favorite things, for you guys that don't know, that's a disc golf basket. And that little orange thing is a disc that you throw in those baskets. Now, we have a small group here at Vortex of a disc small group. And we'll go out and play from time to time. And when you throw those discs, we like to play in the woods. Let's look at number picture number two. Uh-oh, there's my disc up in the tree. We were playing a few weeks ago, all of us. It's about nine of us from church playing. And as I said, we were playing in the woods, and I was having a bad day. My, my discs were off, and I just weren't doing real well. And I was throwing down, and there, there's a directed path that shows you where to go right down the middle. But I, I just was off that day, and I was throwing them in trees, as you can see the picture there. And, and uh, Ed, you know, Ed, the big guy that stands back here and plays the guitar so effortlessly, Ed was saying, hey, Jimmy, your torch is off. And I was, what? Your torch is off. I was looking around. I thought something fell out of my bag. What, my my torch is off. What do what you mean? Yeah, your torch is off. 
You're supposed to throw it toward the basket, not toward the tree. I said, oh, okay, my towards is off. I got you now, Ed. Thank you. Ed's king of one-liners anyway. So, you, you see, and my towards gets off once in a while, and, and there's a directed path that I should throw in that basket, but maybe this way looks like it's a little bit easier. Maybe I can get an advantage on the guys I'm playing with and beat them if I go around this way, and then my towards gets off and I throw it in the basket. Oh, I'm sorry, throw it in the tree. But isn't that kind of how life is sometimes? Something will look inviting and will our towards to kind of get off. And the scripture saying, God is saying, be rich toward God. Another great example of this, maybe help you understand a little bit more, is, is my father-in-law. My father-in-law, is, uh, he's been dead for 27 years but yet he still has an impact on my life and my family's life. He was a good example of, of uh, being rich toward God. He used to own a construction company, and Gary and I worked for him, and uh, he didn't work on the job much because he was about doing other things, making sure everything was running right. But he would come up a lot of times, and he would say, Jim, I got you some help. Some good help. And I said, okay, great. Yeah, we need some. Uh, what kind of experience does he have? Was in carpentry and masonry. He said, oh, he don't have any experience, but he was working in the mill and he got laid off. And he needs a job. Uh, he'll be some good help to you because he'll work. And I hear I was, I was thinking to myself the whole time, gosh, I've got plenty of toters. I need somebody to cut rafters and drive nails and help. I, I got all that kind of help I need. Matter of fact, sometimes it takes all my time keeping the guys that's my help squared away where I can't do my own job. But Jesse didn't look at it like that. You see, he seen somebody that needed a job. He got laid off. His family, his little kids needed milk money. Now, corporate America doesn't look at it like that. What are we going to do? Corporate America is not going to put on dead weight. It's what can you do for me now, not what have you done for me lately. They look at the bottom line, but you see, Jesse wasn't looking at it like that. He seen a brother. He seen somebody that, a mankind, that just needed a break, needed help. Didn't worry about the bottom line because he had plenty of work, so he says, I can help somebody out because there may come a day when I don't have work. But I remember saying one time, we've been in this business because I asked him about it one time about work. And he said, well, Jim, we've been in this business so many years. We've always had work. Some of it wasn't real glorious, and it wasn't fun to do, but it paid the bills. But that's kind of the way he looked at it. And I remember there was a businessman in town, and Jan and Gary are forever telling us about, hey, I saw so-and-so today. He said he used to work with Daddy. And uh, they just said, boy, do your dad. Sure, give me a break. One time coming up, I need a job, and he'd give me one. And uh, there was a guy one time, a businessman here in town, he'd fallen on some hard luck, made a few mistakes, and a lot of people downed him for it. And they wouldn't have anything to do with him much. Well, he started businesses that wasn't doing well. Well, Jesse hired him to do some sub work for his company. And as a matter of fact, he even took him around, introduced him to some of the home builders around, tried to help the man get on his feet by giving him a good vote of confidence and a good word, stand up for him. And that guy wrote a letter years later to the family and to Jesse and told him about what his encouragement had meant to him, the difference that it had made in his life. And you see, that's the thing about our wealth now and eternity. What we don't realize a lot of times is how we handle our wealth now. It makes such a difference, not in only our lives, but in other folks' lives. 
And I think God is saying to us today that if we will, we got to step back and realize that there is an eternal impact with how we handle our resources. There is an eternal impact on how we handle our resources. Let's look at Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. This is Jesus speaking. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. God knows that if our treasure is in our wealth, then that's not where our heart's going to be. You see, He doesn't want our stuff. He's got all of our stuff. He's got all He needs. He wants our heart. People think, well, all church wants to do is give, give, give. But God doesn't need that. He's got it all. He gives it to us to give in the first place. But He desires our heart. He desires an attitude that will be rich toward God. So let's finish up. <clears throat> Excuse me. Go back to verse 19 in Timothy and finish up. In this way, they, that's us, the rich people, will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the age to come. So that, so that, this is the whole reason we're doing all of this. We're, we're not arrogant. We're doing good deeds. We're sharing. We're willing to share. Be generous to giving. Being rich in good deeds. We're doing all that. So that, and this is the number four in your notes, they may take hold of life that is truly life. So that we may take hold of life that is truly life. You know, Jesus told us in the Gospel of John that the thief come only to steal, to kill, and destroy. But he said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And I think he's talking about the life here and the life hereafter. After all, Paul's been talking about the eternal aspect of life. But I also think he's talking about life here now. We can take hold of the life that truly is life because if we will give, if we will see the connection of our wealth now to eternity, then God changes our heart and, and we will take hold of life that is truly life. He doesn't want all of our stuff. He has our stuff. And, and I don't want you to think, well, I, I give this and I give that and I, I just can't give as much as some people. What if... You know, the Bible standard is a tie of 10%. What if you make $400 a week, you write your check for $40, and you put it in the offering place that comes by, and let's say you're sitting beside of me one day, and you, you can't help but notice that maybe I wrote a check, and maybe it was for $150, and you think, wow, gosh, I give $40, and now he gives $150. That's almost four times what I give. Wow, I feel so insignificant. But you give 10%, didn't you? What you don't know is that what if I got a $10,000 bonus that week and my $150 was only 1.5% of what I should have given? And where you thought I'd give four times as much, come to find out you give seven times more than I did. You see, God doesn't want our amount. He's got all the amounts. He wants our heart. It's about percentages, how we give our margins, our time, and our money. And don't think that I can't have anything in this world. No, God... He even says in Proverbs that a, a rich man or a smart man will leave an inheritance for his children's children. So it's not like he doesn't want us to save, to, to provide teaching for our children and our children's children, maybe to even leave them an inheritance. But he wants a heart. It's not about letting it control us. Let's do a what-if moment. What if we were in the story and we were the rich man that was going to build barns? What if we and he, what if we would have said, wow, I've got all this abundance. And I've got more than I can use already. What am I going to do with my margin, with my extra now? 
what if I can give it out to the neighborhood, some in the neighborhood, and, and I can, you know, help somebody else eat for a few weeks, maybe months. Maybe I can sustain my whole neighborhood through the winter because God has given me all this abundance. What if we get to the end of our life, and that's just a what if, what if you and I get to the end of our life and we stand before God and we say, God, I've used everything I've had to better my life. Would it be easier to say, God, I've used everything that you had given me eternally to make an eternal difference, and I hope I have. And what if he says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Wouldn't that be awesome? That would be great. It's kind of morbid, but I want to leave you with one thing, and then I'll ask our worship team to come back up. We are probably, like the rich man, going to run out of time before we run out of money. Now, I know that's a little morbid. Now, I've, never, I've never seen it. I've never been to a funeral where I heard anybody say, Boy, that guy died flat broke. I don't think I've ever heard that. So chances are, guys, we are probably going to run out of time before we run out of money. What if Vortex continues to grow in generosity and becomes that church that when we get to heaven, we can all say, we used our margin for what we had for an eternal aspect to do good and to, to make a difference eternally for other folks. Let us pray. Father, as we come this morning, we give you thanks for this word. And sometimes we think these words are hard. But really, God, we can take these words and they become meat for us. They can become fruit. They can become easy for us because you make them do that. And God, this morning as we pray, <clears throat> I know it's so hard for a lot of us because some of us maybe. We're in our 30s or 30s or 40s, whatever. We're just starting to get on our feet now. We're just starting to see, okay, I'm finally getting ahead in this life a little bit. I finally can make ends meet. Maybe there's a little bit of margin. For those guys, God, I pray. Because I know it's so hard. But I know you can change our circumstances. You can change our heart. This morning, if, if you've got your head bowed, and this morning, if you're... If you're sitting there and you think, wow, I love whatever, what all Jimmy said, but I got my doubts. I'm a, little bit, I'm a little bit afraid, Lord. If you want God to help you to pre-decide, if you want God to change your heart, if you want him to help you understand, and we're not going to learn it all in one week, but if you want him to start to help you understand about margin and that eternal aspect of the connection between our wealth and eternity. Would you raise your hand with me this morning? Thank you. And maybe today you're sitting here and you've never made that decision to follow Christ. And you've been coming to church for a while and nobody's ever asked you, now have you ever made Jesus Lord of your life? Have you ever said, Jesus, come into my heart and save me? I want to spend eternity with you. I want you to help direct me in my life. Forgive me my sins, Lord. If you want to do that this morning, with every head bow, would you raise your hand so we can pray? We're not going to embarrass anybody. God, this morning, thank you for being such a generous God. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for molding our hearts. And thank you, first of all, for loving us. And we 
give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.